Well, I hope that you have personally known and do know the touch of Jesus. And if you do not, I hope that today you feel His touch in conviction of your heart and your soul and your need to be saved and that you would come to Him and be saved. Nothing greater than being saved. I mean, that's really what it's all about. You know, I hear people talking about that's what it's all about, that's what it's all about, and somehow they never get around to Jesus. I want to tell you, Jesus is what it's all about. And we are moving toward that time of sacredness in the service in which we will uh, partake of the Lord's Supper, a very meaningful supper as we want to uh, give reference and reverence to that. And so everything that we are seeking to do on this road of remembrance is leading us to that. I don't know if you got one yet. I hope everybody has a, has a scarlet ribbon this morning. If you, got, if you don't have one, we want you to have one. We want you to have a scarlet thread. Uh, they're back in the back on that lectern back there. Uh, if someone uh, hasn't got one, you can pick one up there. Um, but I want to talk to you this morning for a little while about the scarlet thread, for we are going down this road of remembrance. Uh, last week, I hope you remember, we talked about the devil. And uh, I don't know if he gave you any fits. He gives me fits about every day. Uh, but uh, anyway, uh, we talked about the devil and how he fell from heaven because of his pride and his sin against God. And then he went on to tempt Eve in the garden, and uh, she uh, was deceived. And then uh, Adam come along, and he uh, disobeyed the Lord as well in partaking of the fruit. And so sin entered into our world. And uh, we want to look at that again today, beginning uh, there. Uh, but first, I've got a, a fellow I want you to meet, William Harvey. William Harvey. Uh, now, I don't, I don't know if any of you were, was with him in high school or not. He, he, he died in 1657. I know some of you are old, but I don't think you're probably that old. But uh, William Harvey was the first person, listen to this now, he was the first person to describe blood's circulation in the body. Dr. Steve, he's the first one that came up with the fact that blood circulates in our body. And he showed uh, that there was a difference between arteries and veins and how that the arteries and veins uh, complete, uh, have a complete circuit. I know that's a little crude drawing, but I mean that was the first, you know. Uh, he didn't have all the modern technology that we have uh, today. And here's a statement he made. He says, life really is maintained by the blood. Life really is maintained by the blood, which both brings nourishment to all parts of the body and also carries away its waste. It brings nourishment to all parts of the body, and it also carries away its waste. Now, I know that he came up with this, and, and of course it has made medicine what it is today. You have to have a beginning point. But even at his time in 1657, he only confirmed what God had already stated to a man by the name of Moses. And Moses wrote it down in a book. 
called the Bible. And we have it in the book of Leviticus 17.11. If you would stand, we will read that verse. Here's what the Bible says. For the life of the flesh is in the what, church? In the blood. And I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. The life of the flesh, this flesh is in the blood. You know that if you don't have any blood in your body, you're a dead person, right? Life is in the blood. It brings in nourishment to the body and it carries the waste out from the body. Now God is saying that this blood is necessary for the atonement of the soul. Now look at that word atonement. We'll talk about that a little while probably later on. But just, just in the beginning stage here, atonement. Break that down and, and, and you have at one meant. At one meant. You see, we are separated from God because of our sin. Got it? But the blood of Christ that was shed for our sin, when we believe in Jesus, believe in His blood, it makes us at one with God. We are separated from God, but when we trust in the blood by faith, we are at one. So atonement is being at one with God. Why? Because of your works? No. Because you follow the Ten Commandments? No. Because you tithe to the church? No. Because your name's on the church roll? No. Because you've been baptized in water? No. But because of the B-L-O-O-D, the blood of Christ. Father, help us today as we endeavor to look at the scarlet thread of the blood of Christ, in Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. So life is in the blood, and it's only in the shedding of blood that we can be atoned for, that we can be at one with. It is only in the shedding of blood that our sins can be compensated for. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. How do you eradicate that death sentence? It has to come in and through the blood. Now it is said that at one time every rope, <laughs> every rope great or small that was used throughout the British Navy had a scarlet thread running through that rope. It ran from end to end. So if that rope was lost, if that rope was stolen, if that rope sunk beneath the waves, even if that rope was cut into pieces that were less than an inch long, it showed by the simple thread that it belonged to the king. It was a mark that he was in possession of that rope. There is a scarlet thread. There is a scarlet thread through the whole circle of Christian doctrine. There is a scarlet thread through the whole practice of Christianity, clarifying and certifying that all of its parts are one. 
We have a Bible. It contains 66 individual books, but it is one Bible. And it was written under the inspiration of God by some 40 different authors, yet that scarlet thread is seen from Genesis to Revelation. A scarlet thread reminds me of one particular passage in the Bible in Joshua chapter 2, verses 18 and 19. You may remember the story. It was the story when the Israelites had crossed over the Jordan and they were about to take down the city of Jericho. And Joshua had sent spies into Jericho to check out the lay of the land. And while they were in Jericho, of course, the, the opposite army found out that these spies were there. And there was a lady by the name of Rahab, who was known to be a harlot, hid the spies in her house. And uh, she sneaked them out of her house, letting them down off the rooftop by a scarlet rope. And then as she... Uh, allowed those spies to get away from the enemy uh, and allowed them to go, three, uh, go free, uh, she told the, the Israelite spies, she said, Now, I've helped you. I want you to help me. I know that you're going to attack this city. And I would want and desire that you spare my life and the life of my family. And so the spies told her, if you will tie the scarlet ribbon, the scarlet rope in your window, we will look for that scarlet rope when we attack the city. And everyone that is inside your house will be saved. Rahab, this woman, a harlot in the city of Jericho, as the Israelites came in and possessed that land, she was destined for death and destruction. But she was delivered. For when they actually came into the city, they saw that scarlet cord in her window. And the Israelite army spared everyone that was in her house. Now this scarlet cord represented the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I know that, that she did not know who Christ was, but she knew who God was because she had seen what God had done through His people. She even talked about how that the wonders and the miracles of God had reached her ears there in Jericho. And so she had a certain reverent fear of God. And she knew what could happen. And so she, by faith, trusted God. Trusted the Lamb of God that she had never seen or heard about, but was in her future. In fact, all the Bible is about Jesus Christ. This is God's love letter to His humanity that He has created. And throughout the Word of God, you will find this scarlet thread. Now let's take a look and journey, if you would please, through a number of different characters and situations in the Bible so that I may give you uh, an opportunity to see for yourself how this scarlet thread runs through the Bible. Let's talk about the prophecy of the blood. 
the prophecy of the blood. And I'm going to begin with Adam and Eve because they were there in the beginning in Genesis 3, 21. You see, from the very beginning of human history, it is revealed this idea of blood atonement. When Adam and Eve sinned, and I reminded you of that last week, when Adam and Eve sinned, they realized that they were sinners. They hid from God. They tried to cover their sin up with fig leaves. Uh, but we know that that was not an accurate covering of sin. And so what did God do? Well, God killed the first animal, and He took the skin of that animal, and He covered Adam and Eve's physical nakedness with that, uh, with that skin. But in so doing, He had to shed the blood of that animal. And in the shedding of the blood of that animal, He was showing us in Adam and Eve looking forward to a time whenever the blood ultimately would be shed by His Son, Jesus. So this is a picture of the covering of righteousness that we receive in the Lord Jesus because He died for us. So Adam and Eve is the beginning of that scarlet thread in the Bible. We move very quickly to Genesis chapter 4 and Cain and Abel. Who were Cain and Abel? Anybody remember? Well, they were Adam and Eve's boys, right? Cain and Abel. And in Genesis chapter 4, we read about these two boys. Now, they instinctively wanted to worship God. And the Bible says that Cain came and sacrificed the fruit of the ground. He brought some turnips and some carrots and taters and stuff like that and laid it on the altar. And then we see that Abel brought a lamb from the flock on the altar, and he cut its throat and killed that lamb and shed its blood. You see, Abel had already learned that it is the shedding of blood. And God accepted the blood of Abel's lamb, but he did not accept Cain's offering. Why is that? I think we have to go to Hebrews 9.22. And the Bible says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. In other words, unless blood is shed, sin cannot be eradicated. Sin cannot be forgiven. Sin cannot be erased. Well, let's move on a few years from Cain and Abel as the population of the world began to increase. And we continue the generations till we get down to Noah in Genesis 6 and 7. Now, God looked down on the earth during Noah's day. And when he did, he saw all those generations. And here's what he said in verse 5. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was on evil continually. That sounds to me like, the daily newspaper of today, doesn't it you? And the Lord was sorry that he'd made man on the earth, and it grieved him in his heart. And God basically said what a friend of mine says, That's it. <laughs> That's enough. That's enough. I've had enough of this stuff. And so God said, I'm going to destroy humanity off the face of the earth. But there was one man on the earth that God saw was different than all the other men. 
And it was a man by the name of Noah. And Noah was a good man. And God, uh, Noah found grace in the eyes of God. And Noah, uh, in talking with God and God talking to Noah, he said, Noah, I want you to build an ark. I want you to build this big old boat. And uh, I'm going to destroy the world by water. But Noah, I'm going to save you and your family. And I'm going to save species of the animals on the earth so that when the flood's over, there'll be a start over. There'll be a do-over here on earth. And God did a miraculous thing. Because you see, in Noah's day, it had never rained. The earth had always been watered by the dew. It was somewhat like a rainforest. It had always been watered by the dew that came up from the ground, not from the rain that came out of the clouds. And so whenever Noah got his boat built, his ark built, then God shut him up, the Bible says, in the ark with his family, three boys, his daughter-in-laws, his wife, and all them animals. And then God tore a hole in the canopy of, of the sky, and it began to rain. And it rained 40 days and 40 nights, and it flooded the earth. Was there really a flood? Yes, there was. Did it cover the earth? Yes, it did. How do you know? Because the Bible tells me so. <laughs> the Bible tells me so. And so the earth was covered in this vast, uh, illimited uh, uh, flood, and, and all living uh, uh, things were drowned except Noah's family and, and these animals. And so Noah was in, was in that ark, and finally the ark came to, to rest on dry land, and you, uh, you pretty much know some of the rest of that, uh, that story. But as soon as Noah and his family came out of that ark, you know the first thing he did? Oh, he said, probably kissed the ground. Yeah, I guess he did kiss the ground. But he built an altar to God. And God had said, put two of every unclean animal in the ark, but of the clean animals put seven in the ark. Why? Because when he got out of that ark, he was going to sacrifice some of those clean animals and he didn't want to destroy their population so that they could repopulate. And so here we have building an altar, shedding the blood of those innocent animals, the scarlet thread, the scarlet thread running through the Bible. Oh, some years pass. We've got to move fast. There's 2,000 years to cover here or more. And we move fast through the Bible. 4,000 actually until, until, uh, 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 until Jesus. But we're running through the Bible and we see that years passed. The people multiplied. Uh, and uh, uh, God looked over the land. And he looked down there in Ur. You are. He looked down there in Ur, and down in Ur, he saw a man by the name of Abram, who was later to be called Abraham. And he called old Abraham, and he said, Abraham, I want you to come out from Ur. I'm going to give you the land of Canaan, and, and I'm going to make out of you a people that's going to not only bless your own kind, but they're going to bless all the nations of the world. And he gave Abraham a wife by the name of Sarah, and they lived together pretty good while as man and wife and didn't have no kids. Old Abraham, he was up around 100. Sarah, she's pushing 90. And an angel showed up one day and said, Sarah, you're going to have a baby. And she went, ah, ha, 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 ha. She just laughed. Well, you would, wouldn't you? I mean, she's 90 years old. 
And so what, uh, what, what he said was, uh, I'm going to come back and visit you in about a year, and you're going to have a baby. And she did have a baby, and they called him Isaac, which means laughter. And so they had that baby by the name of Isaac. And it was Abraham's pride and joy, this little boy by the name of Isaac. Well, you know what God did? One day God said to Abraham, Abraham, I want you to prove your faithfulness to me. All the other people around you are sacrificing their babies to Molech. They're throwing them in the fire. I want to see, do you really love me? Abraham said, of course, Lord, I know. I love you. You ought to know that. He said, here, I want you to prove your love for me. I want you to take your one son, your son Isaac. I want you to take him up to the mountain where I'm going to show you. And I want you to sacrifice your son, your only son, for me. Now, Abraham was a faithful man. The Bible says to show his faithfulness and to demonstrate his faithfulness, he did what the Lord said. So he took his son Isaac, and they went to the mountain, and they took the wood, and they took the fire. And all the while, Isaac is saying, My daddy... What are we going to sacrifice? And Abraham kept saying, the Lord will provide. And so they finally got to the place, and Abraham and his son parted from the servants, and they went off the place there. And uh, God said, this is the place. And so Abraham built an altar out of stone, and then he put the wood there in the altar, and then he took his boy Isaac, and he tied him up. He tied his hands and his feet so he couldn't move. And he laid his son upon that altar there. And he drew back his dagger. And he was going to sacrifice his son there on that altar to show his faithfulness to God. But before he could take that dagger down to the throat of his son, an angel of the Lord said, Stop! Don't do it! You have showed your faithfulness to God. And about that time, Abraham looked around, and there was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. And so, Abraham cut the ropes loose from his son, and he laid that ram upon the altar, and he sacrificed that ram to the Lord. Now, there's a lot of imagery in this, but I like the fact that that old ram was caught by his, by his horns in the thorns. And that just shows me that when Jesus had that thorn, a crown of thorns pushed down on his head, that thousands of years prior to that, there was a ram that was caught in the thicket by his horns, a ram that was sacrificed in the place of a son. And at Calvary, a son was sacrificed in the place of a ram. Do you get it? <laughs> I mean, do you get it? We got it. We got to get. We got to get this. The scarlet thread through the Bible. It's about the blood. And if we ever forget the blood, we've lost our way. So through through Isaac, there was a boy by name of Jacob. That was his son. Jacob and Esau had two sons, but Jacob then uh, born and and Jacob grew a clan of folks around him. And that clan of folks became known as the Israelites. The Israelites. And over time, the Israelites traveled. You know, there was, they was 12, 12 of those boys. <laughs> and uh, uh, they ended up down in Egypt. 
And uh, uh, down in Egypt, they got into slavery under the Egyptians. And along comes someone else that's very familiar too because God called him out of the wilderness, out of the desert place. His name was Moses. And he said, Moses, my people are in bondage and I want them to be set free. And I want you to go down there and lead my people out of Egypt. And God said to Moses over in Exodus 12, 13, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you some instruction. I'm going to send plagues on Egypt. And the tenth plague is going to be the death of the firstborn. But he said there's going to be a way for Israel to escape that plague. And here's what it is. I want you to go out and pick among your flock and I want you to find a, a lamb less than a year old. I want it to be without spot and without blemish. I want it to be a perfect male lamb and I want you to bring that lamb and I want you to kill it. I want you to drain its blood. I want you to boil its flesh. And I want you to take the blood of that lamb and I want you to put that, that blood, the lamb of that blood on the frames of your door. On your door jam, if you please. I want you to put it down the sides. I want you to put it across the top. And then I want you to go inside your house and I want you to eat of that lamb's flesh. And I want you to eat some unleavened bread. Are you with me, church? I want you to eat some unleavened bread because we're making this meal in haste because we're getting out of Egypt. And so they went inside and they ate the bread. And on the outside, the blood was around the door frame. And then during the night, the death angel came through Egypt. And when the death angel got to that house that had the blood on the door jams and across the top of the lintels of the door, that death angel, get it? He passed over that house. He passed over that house. And everybody in that house was safe. But if you didn't have the blood applied, if you didn't have the blood applied to your doorpost and the lentils over your door, the death angel came in and took the firstborn child out of that family. So God basically said, When I see the blood, I will pass, I will pass over you. Now it's interesting that we have this thing called Passover. That's where Passover Began. That's the feast that, that recognizes that God took the Israelites safely out of Egypt by avoiding that tenth plague. And so the Jews continued uh, to observe Passover, the, the eating of the lamb or the sacrifice of the lamb, the shedding of its blood, the eating of its flesh, and the eating of unleavened bread. It is the scarlet thread through the Bible. I bring you now to Joshua chapter 2 and 6, and we talk about Rahab. We've already read a passage about her and about when they entered that city of Jericho. And Rahab placed that scarlet thread in her window. Uh, the city was attacked, but she and her family were miraculously saved. Rahab, by the way, though she was a, a harlot, she went on to become the great-great-grandmother of King David. Did you know that? She became the great-great-grandmother of King David. You'll find that in the first chapter of Matthew. For that scarlet thread runs through uh, the Bible. By the way, Rahab is someone that shows you that your past does not have to dictate your future. Your past does not have to dictate your future. Well, Rahab's great-great-grandson was named David. 
He was a little shepherd boy born to Jesse down there in, in Bethlehem. Now, David, he was a musician, a soldier, and a king. And uh, one day as a king, he made a terrible mistake. He didn't take under consideration what God wanted, and he did a census of the people of Israel. And God was disappointed in him. And because of that, in Samuel 24, 15, the Bible says, Because of your sin of disobedience, I'm going to judge the king of, uh, kingdom of Israel. And from Beersheba, clear up to Dan, thousands and thousands of Israelites were slain. Uh, they died. They died. God sent death upon them because of David's sin. So they died at the judgment of God. Now, David was touched. He fell down before God and said, God, don't, don't, don't keep on killing uh, our people. Please spare the people. And the Lord said to David, I, I want you to go up to Mount Moriah. Now, I, I don't know if I'll cover that when I was with Abraham. I get so excited in my preaching sometimes. I don't say everything I meant to say. But uh, whenever uh, Abraham took Isaac, he landed on the mount of Mount Moriah. That's where he made that sacrifice of that ram caught in the thicket. And so here God told David, I want you to go to Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah. Now, God told David, I want you to go up there, I want you to build an altar to me, and I want you to offer sacrifices on behalf of the people. In other words, David's offering a sacrifice in order to save all these people. Now that place was owned by a, name, by a man by the name of Arunah, and he'd made a threshing floor out of it. And Abraham said, I want to buy this piece of ground, and I'm going to offer a sacrifice to the Lord. And Arunah said, uh, I'm going to give it to you, and uh, I'll even give you the oxen for the sacrifice. I'll give you the wood, I'll give you everything you need. And David said, no siree, I like this verse. He said, no, but I will surely buy it from you. For a price, nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God with that which costs me nothing. See, a sacrifice costs you something. If you give it away and you don't pay any attention to it, that, that's not a sacrifice. Sacrifice costs you something. And David was willing, here, David was willing to pay the price. So he built an altar there and he offered a sacrifice to the Lord. And in that sacrifice, you know what happened. <laughs> they had to kill an animal, right? And blood was shed. Blood was shed. The Lord heeded their prayers and their sacrifice, and the plague ended. But blood was shed, and the scarlet thread runs through the Bible. David wanted to build a temple to the Lord, a place where people could come and worship. God said, I would like for you to be able to build that temple, but you got too much blood on your hands. You've been in too many battles, and you've killed too many people. But he said, I want to give you this. If you will collect all the materials, then your son Solomon will build the temple. And so David, before he died, he gathered all the materials to build a temple, the first temple that would ever be built. They'd always worshipped in the tabernacle while they were in the wilderness, a tent. And now there's going to build this structure, a temple. And so David gathered everything uh, in order to build the temple. But he couldn't build it himself. But the Bible says that Solomon went on to build that temple, 2 Chronicles chapter 3. 
And there the people were commanded to bring their sacrifices. Now people were bringing their sacrifices, their animals, bring them to the temple. And they had the, they had the altar there. They had everything they needed to offer these sacrifices. And you know where that temple was built? That temple was built on Mount Moriah, Deuteronomy 12, 5 to 7. So in the tabernacle with Moses, as well as in the temple built by Solomon, thousands upon thousands of sheep and oxen and, uh, and, uh, and turtle doves were, were killed and their blood was spilled. Why? Because there had to be this recompense for sin. Uh, man, man had to see, man and woman, humanity had to see that in order for our sins to be eradicated, that blood had to be shed. And up until this time, the, there was really no per, uh, a perfect sacrifice, and so the only thing that could be done was shed the blood of an animal in order to be a reminder that you are a sinner. We come to the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 53, 5, 7. 750 years before Jesus was born. 750 years before Jesus was born. By the way, we know he was born in a stable in Bethlehem. Isaiah speaks of the coming of this virgin-born son. And Isaiah said he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was, he was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. No wonder John the Baptist said as Jesus approached, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Then finally one day, 750 years after Isaiah wrote those famous lines. 750 years later, the Bible says that the Virgin Mary brought forth her firstborn son. And she wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for him in the end. And they named him Jesus. For he was to take away the sins of the people. He was to save his people from their sins. John describes it in John 1, 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Then down in verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. One day, one day when heaven was filled with His praises, one day when sin was as black as could be, Jesus came forth to be born of a virgin, dwelled among men, my example is He. Word became flesh, and the light shined among us, His glory revealed. One day they led Him up Calvary's mountain. One day they nailed Him to die on a tree, suffering anguish, despised and rejected, bearing our sins, my Redeemer, is He. Hands that heal nations stretched out on a tree and took the nails for me. 
One day, the grave could conceal him no longer. And one day, the stone rolled away from the door and he arose over death he had conquered. Now is ascended, my Lord, evermore. Death could not hold him. The grave could not keep him from rising again. Living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. Buried, he carried my sins far away. Rising, he justified freely forever. One day, he's coming. <laughs> oh, glorious day. Oh, glorious day. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. 33 years of ministry, 33 years Jesus walked the face of this earth. Eventually he was arrested and tried and he was beaten almost to death. Most people would have died in the scourging. And then they led him up Calvary's mountain. There they nailed him to a cross. There they crucified him. And should I say they, but I should say we crucified Him. For were you there when they crucified my Lord? Yes, you and I both were there. What is a neat thing about this is that many scholars say that Mount Calvary is that ancient site of Mount Moriah. From Abraham to David to Jesus, the original site of Solomon's temple, the scarlet thread runs through the Bible. And when Jesus died on the cross, his death was a fulfillment of prophecy and promises. Revelation says that Jesus was slain before the foundation of the world. You see, Jesus planned to die, he came to die. He was born to die. He lived to die. And that scarlet thread is a picture of that redemption, of that salvation that comes to the sinner. We only have salvation through the shed blood of Jesus. And all the way from Genesis to Revelation, there is a river of blood which flows from page to page. And that mighty river teaches us that this is the only way of salvation. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission or absolving of sin. So what does that blood mean to me? That blood means to me that I have, I have power, and I only have power through the blood of Jesus. I love that song we sang it. There's power, power, wonder, working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. The blood of Jesus redeems us. There was once a price against us that we could not pay. I owed a debt I could not pay. He paid a debt he did not owe. Knowing that we were redeemed not of corruptible things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus, a lamb without blemish. The blood of Jesus brings us into fellowship with God. But now in Christ Jesus, you once who are far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. 
Without the blood of Christ, each one of us is a long way from God. But His blood draws us near to God. The blood of Jesus makes peace with God. Man by nature is at war with God. We are, you may not want to admit it, but in our nature we are at war with God. We want our way, we have our pride. It is all about us. We can only come to terms of peace with God through the blood atonement. And the Bible says, And by Him to reconcile all things to Himself by Him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of the cross. And the blood of Jesus cleanses from all sin. Not only does it remove the punishment of sin, it removes the pollution of sin. And just as the blood, bring, the blood of Christ brings in life, as our own natural blood does, the blood also takes out the waste of, and the pollution of our life. I don't care what sin you've committed. There is no sin that cannot be forgiven except, of course, the sin of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, which is basically rejecting Jesus. That is the sin that will send you to hell, so to speak. But all sins are forgiven and all sins are forgivable under the blood of Christ. If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. The blood of Jesus gives you power over the devil. That's that wonder-working power. In Revelations 12, 11, the Bible says, They overcame Satan by the blood of the Lamb. The devil doesn't want you to learn about the blood. The devil doesn't want you to see a scarlet thread running through the Bible. The devil doesn't want you to get near to Jesus or to get near to the cross. He doesn't want you to be exposed to that. The devil doesn't like the name Jesus. You can talk about God and you can talk about the Bible all you want to. You can talk about that in public. You can talk about that on social media. But the very moment you start talking about Jesus, you're going to get shut down because the devil doesn't like the name Jesus. Because there's no other name given under heaven among men whereby we must be saved. Jesus was the perfect one who shed His blood for you and me. Before this planet ever was swung into place, God determined in His heart that He was going to send His Son on the cross. And He has woven this thread of blood through the Bible. How much more then to know about this thread of blood than to just know Him personally. I want to ask you, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Rahab tied a scarlet thread in her window. It changed her life and her family's life. It was that scarlet thread of faith that saved her through the saving grace of God. The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. I want to know, have you trusted Him wholly and, and completely? Is, is He your Lord and your Savior? Has He forgiven you of your sin? Are you living in that freedom of bondage that has been broken because of Christ? What can wash away my sin? The song says it. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of of Jesus. As we approach this day when we're going to remember, I want you to know what you're remembering. You're remembering blood shed by the Son of God, something God had in His mind before this world was ever created. This is big. 
This is the big thing here. We don't want to miss this. And you don't want to miss the blood. Because without the blood of Christ, you are doomed and down for hell in your sin. Only His blood can forgive you of your sin. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. In a few moments, we're going to sing a song entitled, A Fountain Filled with Blood, Drawn from Emmanuel's Veins, and Sinners Plunged Beneath That Flood Lose All Their Guilty Stains. It was so simple. All Rahab had to do was tie that cord in the window and her family would be saved. But what if she hadn't tied that cord in the window? What if she said, there's nothing to this? They just made an empty promise. There's really nothing to this. God has made salvation simple. So simple, in fact, that some people ignore His salvation because they think it just is too simple. I should have to put something into this. But listen, Jesus paid it all. He did it all. It was His blood and only His blood that could save you. And He did salvation complete for you by dying on the cross. The salvation that God offers is just as simple as tying that cord in the window. It really is. It's about faith. It's about belief. If you will believe that you are a sinner, and that Jesus died for your sins on the cross, and that He got up from the dead on the third day, you can be saved. Have you done that? Have you done that? You cannot come to His table on the 31st if you are not saved. If you've not accepted His blood to wash away your sins, you cannot come and partake of the table. If you do so, you eat and drink damnation to your soul. So are you saved? Are we prepared to come to the table? Does His blood cover you? If it doesn't, today's the day to make that right.